Will you build my house? That's the title for today. And I hope that in this New Year's message, you'll take out a piece of paper. If you won't be distracted and you want to make on your note on a phone, I'll pray you'll write down that question. Because I believe it's a question that God is giving us for the year. I believe he's asking each one of us this to set us for the year ahead. COVID did a lot. And many of us know that it takes some time to kind of readjust ourselves. And if we haven't readjusted ourselves at this point, it's time to shake off the things of the old. It's time to move forward with God. It is time to hear his voice for this year, 2023. It is time to look for the kingdom of God in Christ's soon coming. And the question that God is asking us today is simply this. Will you build my house? Not will Pastor Lee, not will the ministers of the choir or the worship leaders or Chris Mahalik in the prison ministry. Will you build my house? Will you build my house? We're going to go around to different scriptures today. I hope that you're going to take time to reflect on God's goodness in 2022. The answered prayers. And I hope that we will take time to reflect in prayer to get God's heart for 2023. We're called to be sober, vigilant, and awake because Jesus is coming for his bride quickly. And with all the joy that Hayden Ship showed whenever Brianna was coming up to see him, when it, just the tears in his eyes, he had waited for this moment as she is walking up. You couldn't help but tear up yourself. The joy and the realization and how awesome and befitting on New Year's Eve, we're turning the calendar, this new age, that whenever Christ raptures his church, we are going to be wed with him in heaven. And there will be a new time with him, a new turning of the page to be with him forever. I look forward to that. And this is an encouragement. And perhaps a wake-up call for, for, I know for my own life, will you build my house? So if you would go to Luke 14, and if you'd like to, you can put your finger there at Luke 14, as well as in the prophet of Haggai. Uh, the minor prophets might not be frequented by us much, but I would encourage you in line with the word of God that came through Brother Ralph, visit the minor prophets this year. They may be minor in name, but they are not minor in substance. They tell so much of the coming kingdom, so much of the king, so much about Jesus, so much about the grace and the mercy of God to a rebellious people. They don't speak a word just to Israel back there. They speak to our hearts today, and there's much encouragement to be received from them. So if you go to the book of Matthew and you go back three books, you find yourself there in Haggai. So put your finger there. We'll have a few moments. But in Luke chapter 14, will you build my house? Jesus said this. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and he said to them, you can imagine he's going, he's performing miracles and all these things. He's a traveling rabbi and people are going along to hear, oh, what miracle is he going to do next? What teaching is he going to give next? Is he going to rebuke the Pharisees? What's going to happen next? This is exciting. No man has ever spoken like this. They're attracted to him. They're drawn to him. If even for the power that he has, and he turns to the crowd and he issues a call to them. And this is what he says. If anyone comes to me, And does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. We often, I used to always read that and I'd be like, oh, wow, that's strong. And just kind of keep going on, but never really give it thought. He goes on, whoever does not bear his own cross, his own crucifixion, his own death. The one who does not carry about with him his own demise and come after me cannot be my disciple. And he gives an example, which is always so helpful. 
For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? It's wonderful to give someone the opportunity to follow Jesus. It's wonderful to, to say today is the day of salvation. But there also is a calculation that has to take place in that heart, even in a split second to say, just take it all, Jesus. Just take it all. I remember my brother in 2009, Chris, he came here during three weeks of prayer and fasting that we had. It was the last Wednesday, the last week of the three weeks. He came down here. Jeff Lee had been sitting, visiting, speaking to him about right there where Marcel is for 20, 30, 45 minutes ministering to his life. Um, and he came down here, I was praying and he started praying and he looked at me, he said, I just don't know what to say. I said, just give him your heart, Chris, just give him your heart. And he, he just prayed very simply, Jesus, I turn to you. I give you my heart. Drag me if you have to drag me if you have to. I mean, that's it. He counted the cost. He said, I can't do it. Drag me if you have to. Let your, he didn't know the word grace, but he's saying, let your grace function in my life. Even whenever I don't know what to do, even when I don't maybe want to do what you're telling me to do, I'm taking up my cross from this moment. Drag me if you have to. And that is the kind of commitment that he requires. It is not simply visiting an altar or just lifting the hand. It is the exchange of life. I lay my life down, even though I don't know what it all will entail. But I do know that there's a death occurring here to me. There's a cost involved, but I'm wanting to gain your life. Yes, there will be pain. There will be hardships, as Pastor Lee has said. But I'm laying this down that I might take up eternal life, not just in heaven one day, but with you today, Jesus. You are my life. Do this for me. That is what Christ is calling for. Discipleship. So what is it like? It's like the person desiring to build a tower who does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Wow. Verse 33 says, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's just a real sobering, gritty, piercing word. That's the call to become a disciple. And it's the call every day of the disciple. No man can do this without the power of the Holy Spirit, without his grace constantly being ministered to our life. We are called to die daily. That's what Paul said that he did. And if someone could please give me a bottle of water, um, I should have grabbed that before, but I can already tell I'm really going to need it. Thank you all so much. I, I, I'm sorry. I appreciate that, though. We are called to build a house. And I want to talk to you from a prophet. I want to give you a prophetic word from a minor prophet named Haggai. So go there with me, please. Turn over there. Haggai chapter 1. I feel like I have spoken so much from this, uh, what's called post-exilic books. It just means after the exile. It's just a fancy word to be able to sum up what they are. It's the books. Thank you, brother. It's the books of of the Bible that was written after Israel was granted the mercy and the grace of God after 70 years of judgment in Babylon. You can now go back home to the land where you polluted yourselves in idolatry. I'm permitting you to leave. And don't just go back and try to scratch a living. Go back and build the temple. 
that's an exciting thing. It's an exciting thing. It's an adventurous thing. It's kind of like living on the frontiers of Israel. You are the people that God has released to go and to, to, to clean up the ruins of, of Jerusalem, to clean up the ruins of that temple that was torn down, that was destroyed, and build me a new one. And they began to build God a new one. They even laid the foundation, but something happened. They were harassed by the enemy. They were harassed by the enemy. You can go read in Ezra 5 and 6 about this. They began the work of God. They began to do the the building of the house of God. They were very, very excited. They had a lot of zeal. But then it it got difficult. The people who were in the land before them for those 70 years, the people that were in power around them began to threaten them, to speak evil of them. And they began to get slack in their work. They were discouraged by Satan. And when they got discouraged, they said, let's stop building the house of God right now. And they got distracted with their personal lives. They began to focus on their homes. They began, and I have a nice home. I'm thankful to God for my home. So there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we had the choice between you can have the silver, you know, furniture on your shower or the new kind of black kind, which costed a little bit extra. And I'm like, well, we're going to go for the black kind because it looks better. God's not against that. It was that they left the call of God to build his house. And Satan then said, that's fine. Don't do this. But I'm not just going to take that from you. I'm going to fill that void of doing the work of God with something that's going to be self pleasing something that feels good to you so you're building a kingdom a house but it's going to be your house and so Haggai had to go to them and I just want to say right off the bat it could be easy to look at these people and be like yeah Haggai get them yeah Zechariah yeah Jesus get them but then the Holy Spirit begins to show you you are them You are no different than them. We are the people that the prophet, that the Holy Spirit speaking in him is wanting to talk to. I am the one who needs Haggai to preach to me today in 2023. May we have ears to hear. Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah. So we have the governor of Judah and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest and the high priest. So we have the leadership of the land, kind of like politically and spiritually that God is speaking to through a prophet. This is serious. It's important. Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. It's not time yet. We're surrounded by our enemies. We've been harassed. The government authorities, as it were, or the authorities and the nations around us have said, stop, don't do it. And in fact, we're going to write a letter to the ruler of Persia who knows who you are and who put you here as the governor, Zerubbabel. And we're going to tell on you, put fear in their hearts. They stopped. It's kind of like people who would report people during COVID. We're going to tell them what they're doing. So let's just go, let's just go focus on our houses right now. Let's just wait till things cool down. Let's just keep things low key, build our own lives, find some spouses for our children, you know, husbands for our daughters, wives for our sons. Let's build this. Let's let our crops grow up a little bit. One day we'll do it. One day we'll finally serve God. 
Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And maybe you have enough money, and maybe I have enough money, even in distractions. But perhaps there is a spiritual famine going on in our lives. We don't have that spiritual bread. We don't have that spiritual drink. And I don't even have the strength to suffice me today. I'm hungry inside. And for my family members, whenever they have a problem, or for my coworkers, because I'm not even nourished in the spirit, because I'm so focused on my own life, I have nothing to give to them. I'm empty. I have pockets that have holes in them, spiritually speaking, a self-imposed judgment. It just seems to slip out. I'll read a chapter one day and, and nothing happens during the day because I leave that place thinking I've just done a duty. But for the rest of the week, I've hated. I've had disunity. I've had strife. I've focused on myself. But Andrew, I've prayed. I've fasted. I've done these things. But what about all the other moments of the day? He's cared about our hearts more than the things that we do per se, the religious duties. These things can be life, but they're only life whenever they're in, in the midst of a life that is seeking his kingdom. That's when life comes from these things. Daily, my ears are open. Daily, I'm asking him to give my heart eyes and ears to receive the word of God. They got busy with their personal lives and their ambitions. They were doing his will, but they got distracted, discouraged, then distracted. And I have been so discouraged by the enemy, even after receiving a specific word to my life, Andrew, do this thing right here. Then something happens. Satan quickly can bring discouragement in and you start to doubt, did God even really say that to me? And you're like, well, I don't even know. I'm so discouraged on doing the purpose of God in this area of my life. And then you begin to busy yourself with something else until God gives another word. And then it's this battle because Satan does not want the house of God to be built. He does not want the kingdom of God to advance. So he discourages us and he distracts us. It's not time to build. It's not time to build your house. It's time to build my house. But that's the very reason that you and I were called into the kingdom of God, to be a part of God's spiritual house, the church. Through the church, we are the only means of the extension of the kingdom of God in the earth. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head. He has ascended into heaven. So if he is going to extend his rule and reign and the hearts and the lives of people on this earth, it is through his body moving and obeying and speaking the truth of the gospel. If the church does not build the house of God, it will not be built. There was a reason that Asia was not touched for thousands of years. And people like William Carey went and pierced the darkness in the 1700s. There were people that whenever they spoke in, in, in England to a mission society, we need to go and preach the gospel. And one man said, young man, sit down. Sit down, youngin. 
If God wants to evangelize the heathen, he'll do it himself. He doesn't need you. This man completely misunderstood the purpose of the body of Christ to build the kingdom of God and the earth. What did God that we won't forget that? And I really believe this, and I agree with you, Pastor Lee. We are already in an age of spiritual dearth in America where there is no loud, solid voice of previous years, and it is going to be the local churches and our lives where we may not have huge pulpit ministries. Pastor Lee may have the opportunity to speak to 40s, but but he may never have time to speak to thousands of ministers at once. Maybe there will be. Maybe God has shown them that. But we are in an age and a time where we have to live like these people, where the enemy, the good old days of Christianity in America, they're dead, they're gone, get over it. It is not the cross wrapped in a flag anymore. It's no longer synonymous to say America is a Christian nation. Look to Europe. My wife is from there. There is death. You know what the average percentage is of evangelical Christianity in England? As of about 10 years ago, 12%. The rest of Europe, 3%. Max, professing, not possessing Christians. Evangelical, not just spirit-filled. I'm talking Baptist, Methodist, people who really know Christ through the blood. They had the greatest revivals ever seen, some of them. The word of God translated. The word of God shipped around. Truth, discipleship. We are no different. We have to stand like Haggai and the people here. We have to hear the word of God and say, even if no one else will, even if I'm being distracted, even if American culture says, build your house and no one else is helping me and there's no loud voice, if there's one small voice, but it speaks for God, I want to go with that. I want to go with the voice of the Holy Spirit. Consider your ways, he said. Go up to the hills, bring wood, and build the house. Go up to the hills. Go up to the hills? That means I gotta walk. I gotta cut wood? Oh man, now I gotta carry an axe up the hill. That's work. I'm not in shape like that, God, spiritually speaking. You mean I've got to put forth effort to grow your kingdom? Go to the hills, bring your axe. Oh, and then I've got to bring the wood back down. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to go up. I've got to work to chop the wood. I've got to put the wood on me, and then I've got to bring it all the way down again and again and again and again and again and again until we've got enough supplies to build the house. There is labor in the house of God. It says that God has predestined the good works that we would do. Before time ever was, God had in his heart that you would be saved. Waiting for that moment, would you with your free will would respond? And if we would be open to his spirit daily, 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 we wouldn't have to invent the good works he wants us to do. But we'd hear, Andrew or Lauren, this is what I want you to do today. Amen, God. I'll go do it. Oh, but that's going to cost me something. It's going to cost me discomfort. It's going to cost me time. It's going to cost me money. Yes, and none of those things were yours anyway. But I've given you all things richly to enjoy. It will cost labor. It will cost labor. We're too busy. Go up to the hills, bring wood, and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. And that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, the hills on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground, ground brings forth on man and beast and all their labors. That was a pretty stiff word, right? It's a hard drink. That's something difficult to swallow there. 
He says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, so the governor and the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Hallelujah. And the words of Haggai the prophet and the Lord that the Lord their God had sent them. The people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. So he brought them grace that was influencing their life, the word of God by his spirit to say, do this. This is what I want. They responded in faith. Yes, I'll do it. And when they said, yes, I'll do it, he poured more grace on. It's like Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Yet I labored more than they all, yet not I the grace of God that was in me. It's exciting. Grace comes to us to influence us to do the will of God. The moment we respond in faith, even though we have no power in ourselves, the grace of God then kicks in again and says, I'm going to do it in you and through you. It's exciting. All God is wanting is our yes, our yes, unreserved yes. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. He came to them, he convicted them, they said yes, and then he stirred them up even more. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. And might I add, they did that without the permission of Darius. There came a point when Haggai and Zechariah the prophets rose up and said, we've got to do this. And they began to do it even without the permission of the governing authorities that were over them in Persia. They didn't wait for the instruction back from the Gentile king to say, oh yeah, it's good for you to do it. They said, no, we're no longer listening to the enemy. We're going to walk in the obedience to God. And then the permission from the governing authorities came. But they did not wait for it. Because the word of God, what do we learn in the book of Acts? Is more important than the word of men. You may legalize what we're doing now, but until then, we cannot help but do and speak the things that we've heard and we've seen God say and do. Amen. Hallelujah. Y'all are wonderful to preach to. Y'all say amen. So the refocusing began at the leadership level. Maybe some of us in here, maybe we're leaders. Maybe we have gotten distracted. Maybe we have gotten slack in our work for the Lord. Just let the Lord refocus you today. Let him refocus us for this year. Maybe we need a change of attention to what's truly important. I went back and I listened to Pastor Lee's message from an Encourage Conference in 2021, the two-minute warning. And what I heard in that, it was just, it was a very special night to me. It was a very important message in my life. It marked a turn for me. But two things he said in that were this. We need the Holy Spirit. We are in desperate need of Him. And in desperate need not to grudge against one another. What he was saying was, we need unity in the body, and we need unity with God by his Holy Spirit. Because in that moment, in that place, we will then have the power to do everything that God is calling us to do at the end of time. Because without it, he will not receive all the glory that he desires. He will not. He brought comfort and encouragement. He brought spiritual investment to their lives. He stirred their spirits. But where's God's house today? Sometimes someone can get up and they'll preach from the Old Testament and they don't necessarily draw that straight line to the new. Help me. Give me some practicality here. Kind of bring it down. We are his house. We are his people. We are the people of his pasture. And our God is our shepherd. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 quickly with me, please. Israel had the physical temple with the presence of God. But now we individually... 
and collectively are that new temple of the Holy Spirit where the presence of God dwells, where his fame is known, where praise is lifted up to him and he comes down in all of his glory. It says in Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 18, For through him we both have access and one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, oh, it's a structure here, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We are those living stones within the house of God. Collectively, we hold the fullness of Christ in his church. Not just me, not just you, not just us together, not just F&T, not just Baton Rouge, but in Lima, Peru, Brother Gustavo and Sister Yinny, both wonderful ministers of the word of God. Wonderful ministers of the word of God, both of them. We are his house and his fullness is within us. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. If you want to build God's house, build his church. If you want to build his church, build up the people in his church. Build up the stones Let's not just look at ourselves. I am selfish to the nth degree and will often get so caught up in my own little check boxes, my own goals, my own things, my lane that I'm running in. And sometimes it takes me getting bumped by someone else before I realize, hey, and then, oh, they have a need. Oh, I'm supposed to be caring about them too. It is so easy to do that. But again, the church is the only means by which the kingdom of God is going to advance. It's through Joe's life, Luella's life. To Caleb's life in Saudi Arabia. How can I build his life this year, even though he won't be here with us? There's Marco Polo. There's WhatsApp. There's iMessage. There's FaceTime. There's things like this. Those that are near to me. Hans, what does he need in his life this year? Am I thinking about him? Am I concerned about his needs as a living stone? What if God is calling me to help build up your life and you, my life? And then through this year, we're building his house and we look back and we say, my God, You have grown your church here and across the earth. We heard your voice. We put forth the labor and the things that you called us to do. We let Pastor Lee go preach. We gave financially. We let him preach elsewhere. We let other people go. We weren't selfish. We gave our finances. We weren't selfish. We sent people to do things. We cared for those in our city. We went to the local school. We welcomed people in the local local minister's uh, breakfast that we have. We took off a day of work to do something. We went to the Southern Outreach. We did the work of God this year. And we look back, not having done this and having spiritual pride, but saying, you said build your house. And oh Lord, your house have I built. Let that be what we see if Jesus should tarry this year. 1 Corinthians 3, 10, very quickly. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 16. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has been uh, has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. We are called to build in this life. Just as Haggai was preaching to the people of God, the Spirit of God says to us again and again with the same picture of a temple. We are to build God's church, not presumptuously with wood, hay, and stubble, not in self-effort with wood, hay, and stubble. But what is it you want us to do? Like Brother Joe was saying, I was sitting at home with a sick child when you preached that 9 a.m. service. When God asked Moses, what is in your hand, Moses? Throws it down, picks up the snake, the stick, turns into a snake, turns back into his hand. Would you say, Joe, you said, God has put something in your hand. It's time to grab the tail of that snake and get after it. And God spoke to my life greatly through that message. And he gave me something to get after in this next year. And that's what God wants us to do, to open up our ears and our eyes, spiritually speaking, to come before him and simply say, here I am. Speak to me like young Samuel. I want to build your church. I want to build your church. And I'll just reference this, but again, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. We've been saved by grace, not of ourselves, not of our works, but by faith. And then there are good works he wants us to do. God does have a plan for your life. You're not shelved. Your expiration date has not come while you are drawing breath. You may be young and have given up through discouragement and through sin and temptation. You may be older in life and say, well, I'll rest and let the new people serve. No, God has something for you to do. What is it? Hear his voice. There is joy and excitement for your life still. You might climb trees 40 years, be worn out, done many things, come into a newer church like our brother Merv here. But God is saying, I have something for you to do. What is it? Don't know. Won't dare impose it upon you. But what is it? It's going to be exciting. However small in one person's eyes or big it would seem, let's not compare. Let's simply build the house of God. Romans 12, 4 to 8, you are needed. You are needed. You can build his house by simply being present. Simply being present. What came to my mind when I was preparing this was, There are times where we go to church and the Holy Spirit is expecting to express himself through the gifts of the Spirit in our lives. And we don't even know it. I don't know if Ralph or Michelle had an inkling when they woke up this morning that God was going to speak through them. I don't know. Michelle shaking her head no. But she was present. She was here. And because she was here, God was able to build his church through her life. My God, just show up if you don't know what to do. Be with the body. God will use you one to the next. Someone may say, I have this trouble in my life. Pray for me. I have this temptation. Or I have this rejoicing. Rejoice with me. Be in your place. Be in your place in the body. My joint doesn't need to get tired of being a a joint in my finger here and not show up. I'll be left with a straight nub. I need, God doesn't want that in our lives either. He needs movement. And for all the movement in the body, every part is needed. So be in your place because not everyone has your gift. For as one body, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. 
individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If you're not here, who's going to express the gift in you? We're lacking. We become deficient. And anyone will tell you if they've ever suffered a major mineral deficiency in their body, the body begins to just be sluggish, not work. And if what's meant to be there is not there over time, it gets sick and can even be bedridden. So please, please be with the body. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I'll never know how to encourage CJ's life if I'm not around him. If I don't see him rubbing his eyes again, how will I know that he's still suffering with his eye issue and to go and to pray and anoint with oil? If I'm not paying attention, if we're not there, if we're not with the body. So build his house by building his church, by being in the church and let God have his way in you and build his house by adding people to the house. Let's do the work in the church and then let's go out and do the work of the church. Let's ask God to use us to bring one person to begin following Jesus. We're all told that we're supposed to make disciples, right? And one is the only number greater than zero. We don't make half a disciple, right? You make a disciple. God help me to make a disciple this year. Not just a decision on the street. Not just a person that comes in one time and they never show back up. Which they have a personal choice. They can do that. So that's no shame to anyone if that's ever happened to you. But God, I'm asking you for someone who abides. Someone who remains. Someone who puts a demand upon my life that, oh, Goodness, now I actually have to teach this person a little bit about church life and tithing and reading their Bible. What does this word mean? You know, it's going to cause a demand on your life. I want to make a disciple this year, God. Build his church by adding more bricks to it. If we're living stones and he is growing it both within and by adding two, and where that means, how do you think they're going to come in? Jeff Lee, God called him elsewhere. No, you, me. God helped me to bring one person to you this year. Help me. But what if it seems unremarkable? What if I, what, what if I get six years into this year and I had this message in my mind, you know, and I listened to it like once a month. Or I looked at some of the scriptures. I'm like, yeah, hey, guy, build God's house. And then the prison ministry doesn't go the way you want it to go. Unless people start to show up. Or you start with on fire and everyone at, at the school ministry is showing up. And all of a sudden it tapers off. Or they say, oh, there's this big flu pandemic now or epidemic or whatever they want to call it. Something else happened. What are we going to do if we look back when things don't go the way we expected them? What will we do? Haggai dealt with that too. There were people who had seen the first temple, Solomon's temple, the beautiful, original temple of God, pristine, the altar of God, incense being burnt. It was the original, the one that David had seen 
but was not allowed to build. They were old enough to have seen it. And you know what happened when they built the new foundation? These, these elderly people who had seen the good days and they had seen these revivals, they wept. They literally wept. Read Ezra. They wept. But the young people who had never seen all that, they just shouted for joy because God was doing a mighty work. But the people who had seen what had come before, what seemed to be the glory days, were weeping because it didn't seem as grand as in their days. And it says everyone and the nations around them heard the noise, but they couldn't tell what was going on between the weeping and the rejoicing. There was such a mixture there. And so God had to come to his people and comfort them in their discouragement. Because remember, they had been discouraged one time, and then they had gone back to their houses to work on that. What would happen if they were discouraged another time? What would happen after they hardened their heart to God's word specifically to them? Might they never respond again? But God doesn't allow that to happen. He comes to his people again. And he says in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, just one month of labor later after the first word. The word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet said, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Speak to the leaders again. And to all the remnant of the people and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Who of you in FNT have seen in years gone by mighty things of God? Times maybe when our culture even seemed to be really affected. I've got this picture, black and white, of Billy Graham. He looks like Levi Van Valkenburg, honestly, in the picture. It's pretty cool. It's like I've got Levi in my office, you know. I want to be like him one day. <laughs> I do. He's awesome. But he's there and he's preaching and he's got his arms out. And there are 70 or 80,000 people in North Carolina. And it's six months after his first Los Angeles crusade. The nation is being shaken. Who is this young preacher anointed by the Spirit of God? Governors are there. Lieutenant governors are there. He's got his hands out. He's speaking. 2,000 people came forward. But where is that today? Maybe you look back and you say, the good old days are gone. The good old days are gone. That's what they said. But what did the Spirit of God say? Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? He was being serious. Doesn't this look like nothing to you in comparison? Yet now. Yet now. It doesn't matter what you saw previously. Now is what is important. Be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Do you think he wanted them to be strong? Even in the face of disappointment that was real. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I have made with you, and we have a much deeper covenant through the blood of Christ, which we celebrated today, than Israel ever tasted through the old. The new is much better. According to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. 
The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. I believe it was both speaking of that temple, but one to come. I think it could speak of the church. I think it would absolutely apply to us. I think it could speak to the coming third temple, where when Jesus sits on, peace issues out, and all the nations bring in their glory when he is seated as King of kings and Lord of lords. But I also think it speaks of that temple, because guess who visited that temple? God in the flesh. God in the flesh. Oh, it seems like nothing in your eyes. But what you're doing now is preparing the place where Jesus will be circumcised and dedicated. Where Anna the prophetess will take him up. Where the other man, and I forget his name. Thank you, Simeon. Who was guaranteed that he'd see the Lord's anointed in the temple was there. The one who stood up and said, I am the fount of living waters. Drink of me was in that temple that they built. It may not seem spectacular to you today, but maybe the work we do today is not for us. What if it's for tomorrow? What if Jesus tarries a little bit longer and my children grow up? What if I never see labor that would ever glorify me? Oh, and it's not supposed to, is it? But what if I'm laying a foundation that doesn't seem very special when I compare it? To Lee, to Carla, to others. I'm not supposed to compare myself. What if my work prepares the way for another generation and yours as well? And God pours out his spirit like never seen before on the earth. We need a mindset like that. We need a mindset like that. Let us not focus on the past. We will miss what God is doing now and what he will do soon. God in the flesh walked around in that second temple. (laughs) Could you imagine some of them in heaven looking down? I I put that stone there. He's, He's walking. God is walking on the stone that I placed there. As a 12-year-old boy, he's asking questions on the area under the roof that I helped to build. That's the 12-year-old Jesus. God himself, I was a part of that. Heaven will tell what we have done. Heaven will tell what we've done. But life brings pain. Life brings difficulty. Life does not give us glory. No flesh is supposed to glory in his presence. Is there anything good that's going to come from this? Yes, yes. I was a bit, when when I first started to get this message, I was like, oh God, bring me some encouragement in the midst of this. And he led me to the book of Ezra 6, 14 to 22. It gives a different mindset on what's going on here. It says the elders of the Jews built and prospered. And musicians, y'all can go ahead and come up. Just play softly in the back, please. The elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. They finished their building by the decree of God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes king of Persia. They did it, guys. They finished the call of God on their generation. Awesome. 
And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered a hundred bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs as a sin offering, 12 male goats. And they had joy. They had joy. They had the Passover. They slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles. It was eaten by the people who had returned from exile. And everyone who had joined themselves of the land to worship God. The God of Israel, they kept the feast of unleavened bread. They had great joy that came. They had joy. They, they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them. And they finished the work of the house of God of Israel. It may not be until our life is done, when we look back on the work that we have accomplished by the grace of God, that we are then made joyful. May God give us the endurance to work. But we get communion with him all through it. We get fellowship all through it. It's not just put your nose down to the grindstone and work, work, work. There's joy in the midst of it. He said in John 15, Obey my commandments that your joy may be full. When you do the work of God, there may be great pain in it. And Carla Ship, maybe a prophet in her own right, certainly with great wisdom said this one time, enjoy the good times. Really take hold of them. Because life is difficult as a believer. So when that rest day comes, really spend it with your kids. When time to go to eat at that restaurant comes or a joyful thing, a testimony of God, write it down so you don't forget it and rejoice in these things that you see God doing in your life. They were joyful at the Passover, but we have a heavenly Passover coming and we'll be able to see one day when Christ comes for his bride and he raises us up to heaven and we see the fullness of that temple when we rule and reign with him forever. And maybe you'll say, like the people who look down at the second temple, when he comes to rule and reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years, I witness to that life. That's that stone and this heavenly temple. I, I gave my finances to bring encouragement to this person down there who's here in heaven. I had part in that. I'm a co-laborer with Christ. And for all of eternity, it says the works that we do will be tried with fire. We will be able to rejoice in the Lamb of God and in everything that He has done through us. And we will be joyful for the King will make us joyful in His house forever. So I encourage you in this year, this is what I ask you. Will you build God's house? Can we just come before Him? And just respond and just let it be yes. Will you build my house? Oh Lord, help us. Do it, God. Build your house. You're the master builder. Build it through us, your co-laborers. Pray the Lord of the harvest. The work is plenty, but the laborers are few. Raise us up, thrust us out as laborers. 
with you in the body and outside. minister his joy to you. Let God minister his joy to you. It says, for the joy that was before Jesus, he endured the cross. And now Jesus is our joy. We don't labor to make God happy. We labor with him because of love and relationship. So let Christ be your joy and your constant companion and communion every day this year. So let's seek to build his house and hear him. But do not let this turn to condemnation. Let it turn to rejoicing because it means his presence.